Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hi everyone, Rob McNichol here, thanking you very much for downloading this particular episode of the show, that is the Suns Hooked on Wrestling, and we have a bit of a special show for you, now there is no Paul Benson, oh yeah, I know, very sad, um, but Paul's on holiday, um, I, we've both been very busy, hence the, uh, the gap between podcasts, with which we apologise, but with Paul being away, I thought I'd look to try and get someone a bit special in uh, as a one-off co-host, or at least it's a, it's an interview, I think is a fair way to say, but a pretty good replacement, Paul may well be the crown prince of podcasting and he may be the Lord Mayor of Hooked On Wrestling but he's not a king is he Jerry the King Lawler joins us this week coming up very shortly is my interview with Jerry we'll talk about all sorts of different subjects about his health about some bits and bobs from his career and there's a gentleman that we also touch on towards the end and that guy is and you all know him folks J-E-double-F J-A-double-R-E Double T, that is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, recent Hall of Famer, and soon to be a man touring the UK with Hooked on Wrestling. We cannot wait to welcome Jeff over here to the UK for the Ain't He Great Tour, and we hope that many of you will join us. It is from the 23rd to the 26th of July, and we are going uh, all over the UK. It's a very nice thing to be able to say that we are actually going around the UK, not just a couple of places in England. But we will be in London, we will be in Cardiff, we will be in Edinburgh, and we will be in Sheffield. And it is just a very exciting uh, time for us to be bringing Jeff over. And we've said lots of times before, Jeff has one of the most interesting stories in wrestling history. From his dad bringing him in in Memphis, and Jerry Lawler will talk about that in just a second. Um, to everything that went on in WWF, there's so many different stories about several stints, being a world champion in WCW, all the stuff going on with Russo, with David Arquette, to starting up TNA, to leaving, to coming back, the Hall of Fame, all sorts of things that have gone on. Just one of those that's not written a book, although he's done plenty of interviews over the years, you know, we've not necessarily heard the inside story of Jeff Jarrett just yet. So, um... It should be a fantastic occasion, uh, like I say, the 23rd to the 26th of July uh, here in the UK for Jeff Jarrett's Ain't He Great Tour. If you are interested in coming along, there are a range of different tickets that you can get. I won't go into all the individuals, but what the best thing is to do is to go to hookedonevents.co.uk or to ringsideworld.co.uk. If you go to hookedonevents.co.uk and look for the uh, event pages, for the buy tickets pages, you'll be able to uh, find that quite quickly. And if you go to ringsideworld.co.uk and search for either Hooked On Wrestling or for Jeff Jarrett, you should find things quite presently. You can buy just an ordinary ticket just to come in and watch the show. You can buy various different degrees of VIP-ness, as it were. Uh, I just forget how I say that. VIP-ness. VIP-ness. How you can uh, come and enjoy the show in different ways. Uh, That is to get things signed, to get photographs done. Uh, There is even a chosen one package, which is to uh, get to have dinner with Jeff before the show. Although I'm not absolutely certain whether or not that may have sold out in at least least a couple of the venues. Whatever the situation is, please come along to it. It should be great fun. And if you want a chance to meet Jeff, then you need to get one of the VIP tickets that is on there. So once again, ringsideworld.co.uk or hookedonevents.co.uk. And if you uh, want to ask us some questions or find out some more individual details, the best thing to do is really to find us on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com and search for Hooked On Events, for Hooked On Wrestling or indeed for the Jeff Jarrett Ain't He Great Tour, you will find us soon enough. Uh, And similarly on Twitter, if you go to HO underscore wrestling, you will find our Twitter page, which has some information there for you as well. There's a specific reason for getting Jerry Lawler on as our guest this week. We actually used Jeff as a bit of a sounding board. We said what we'd like to do, originally we were going to have Jeff on. It was going to be me and Jeff um, having the conversation, but we didn't want to give too much away from the, from the tour itself. We thought it might be quite nice to have someone to talk about Jeff. 
as it happens, <laughs> uh, it's rather a lot more about Jerry Lawler. But listen, we were going to have a half an hour chat, me and Jerry, and I think it went about 55 minutes. Um, maybe I think we actually went over an hour, but it's edited down to about 55. So it's a, it's a pretty long interview, and there's some chat about Jeff right at the very end um, uh, because we just got carried away with some uh, some other cool stuff. But uh, it's the first time I've ever interviewed Jerry Lawler. Um, he was an absolute gentleman. Hopefully you won't notice too many of the technical gremlins that beset us, but I think it was about five different phone calls that that got edited into one because uh, the uh, the Skype line wasn't the uh, the most friendly to us. It sounds pretty good when you listen to it, but it just uh, it kept cutting out, so it's uh, it's a bit spliced together in in certain places. Um, but Jerry couldn't have been more patient. I, mean, I don't know whether the fault was at my end or his end, but uh, he certainly uh, there'd been a few wrestlers that after two attempts would have just given up and said sod your interview uh, and left you at that. But Jerry was excellent and very self-deprecating. You'll listen in the interview and you'll hear him. Um, actually saying that he doesn't always like doing long interviews because he, he finds them boring and he worries that he's being boring. Well, I'm sure you'll agree after the, the 50 minutes absolutely whizzes by that you could happily have listened to him go on forever. I had certainly another half a dozen questions off the top of my head that I could have done, which we could have done another hour with, but uh, only fair to leave him wanting more. Uh, Jerry does have his own podcast. Um, if you look out there, you can find uh, the uh, the uh, podcast that the King has done. Um, they're worth listening to as well. Bit of a similar sort of format to the uh, the Bruce Pritchard um, podcast in the sense that Jerry takes on different particular issues. So he might one week talk about his match with Bret Hart, another week talk about um, his feud with Andy Kaufman. Uh, but not just his more famous things, but some more uh, sort of drilled down aspects of his career as well um, at various different times. I do recommend it. It is good fun, even though he doesn't do the best sell job on his own podcast. I can assure you that uh, uh, it is worth a listen. Um, that's um, pretty much all I need to say for you for the time being. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to the Hooks on podcast. Paul will be back very shortly. and um, We will be back uh, with our normal uh, set of programming and I think we'll be basically building up to money in the bank by the time Paul comes back and there's one last plug to get in is that we are running uh, a money in the bank show just the one and it's in London and it's at a slightly smaller venue than normal um, but it is indeed where we've run uh, other stuff before for our, um, our VIP show from Wrestlemania for our Wrestle Kingdom show um, it's on a sort of a smaller basis like that but it's just a bit of a trial to see what the interest is like for um, a show like money in the bank we've been, been the past up to the big shows such as Royal Rumble, WrestleMania and SummerSlam with the odd foray into uh, Survivor Series. Um, but we are interested to see what it will be like for something like Money in the Bank. So we are just trying that out. So if you're interested in watching Money in the Bank with us as a normal pay-per-view party, you can do that in London. And once again, ringsideworld.co.uk or hookedonevents.co.uk in order to purchase your early tickets for that. Um, and we will keep you posted on our social media and on this podcast whether or not you'll be able to pay it on the day. It certainly depends on the uh, the ticket sales of that. And uh, Mr. Benson is the man with all the numbers as far as those things go. So uh, we look forward to welcoming him back. But more importantly, we look forward to welcoming Jeff Jarrett over to the UK in July. And to talk about that and many, many other things, here is Jerry, the King Lawler. So joining me now, I'm very, very happy to say wrestling legend, WWE Hall of Famer, Jerry, the King Lawler. Jerry, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. And actually, it just, just occurs to me that when we start an interview, it's a very flippant opening to say, hi, how are you doing? But for, for, <laughs> right. for, some, for someone like you, it's, um, you know, you've, you've had some, some issues in the, in, the, in the near past. I'm sure all of your fans will uh, want me to ask properly, how are you, sir? Actually, I'm doing fine. Uh, I, I feel like never been better. I, I don't have any ill effects, any side effects, any anything uh, that's reoccurring, any issues at all. It was like... Uh, and, and I guess, you know, uh, hopefully, maybe most people know what we're talking about, but uh, a couple months ago, I, I suffered a stroke. And, um, you know, I guess I was just one of those very, very lucky individuals. Um, it was a, a bleed, a, a brain hemorrhage, actually. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of times, those really turn out to be um, not only scary, but, I mean, can, can they leave you with a lot of debilitating effects you know I mean the 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 actual the neurosurgeon actually told me had this bleed been maybe a, even a quarter of an inch further down in my brain I would have could have lost the whole left side of my body the, the, I would could have been like have no use of my arm legs and 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 really uh, for the three days I was in the uh, intensive care unit in the hospital, they didn't think I was going to be able to talk for possibly six months to a year. Wow! I mean, I was I was three days that I couldn't even I couldn't even say my name, my birthday, or anything. 
And then suddenly on the third day, I woke up in, in the intensive care that morning and uh, looked at the clock. It was 8.45 in the morning, and my, my girlfriend was lying on a bed over there beside me uh, or on the couch actually there, and, and I just said, hey, Lauren, you know, I'm Jerry Lawler, the president's Donald Trump. My birthday's November 29th, 1949, and, and all the questions that they'd been asking me, you know, <laughs> to this time that I couldn't answer, and it just all came back in like three days after the stroke. So it was, it, and the doctors came in later and said, can't understand it, can't explain it. It just is almost like a miracle. Wow, it's extraordinary. And I, um, I know there were some, some people that I, that I spoke to um, around WrestleMania weekend, and obviously there's the Hall of Fame and everything that's going on around WrestleMania, and I know that they were, it was mentioned to them, you know, you know how, how well King's done after his stroke, and they went, he's had a stroke, really? So they, they hadn't even seen the news, and, you know, you, no one... Well, I didn't, done... you know, you know I was, it happened yeah. just like a week before WrestleMania. Yeah. And so I, I was I was scheduled to do a match along with JR at WrestleMania, the, the uh, Battle Royal, and then I was also, of course, scheduled to do host the Hall of Fame. Mm. And so I didn't, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, never having had a stroke before and, and not been around that many people that had. Um, I, I don't know. I, the doctors were saying when I was in there, they said, no way is he going to be able to host the Hall of Fame or do anything at WrestleMania. He may not be able to speak for a year. And so, um, but I still, I told, you know, I told uh, Lauren uh, and all the people at the hospital, you know, no publicity, don't let this word out, don't tell anybody. And it was amazing that the, that the word really didn't get out until after I'd done uh, the Hall of Fame and after I'd done WrestleMania and everything. So that's, and then basically the, it really got out when I, when I told it on my own podcast, when I told everybody what happened. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's extraordinary. We, we, it's great to hear this. It's, um, it's hard to. You know, it's hard to keep a secret in wrestling. <laughs> With, without a doubt. Unfortunately, there are people like me around trying to report on things. But uh, no, it's, uh, um, no, it was. Um, it was certainly something that and no one would have uh, would have picked up on. Your performance was just as just as top notch as ever. And um, something I want to ask you. I don't want to dwell too much on uh, on the negative side of, of health and, and whatever. But going back to um, the, the heart issue you had uh, back in 2012, obviously live on Raw on a, on a big show and and everything that happened there. Um, there's, you've got to experience something I don't, which I don't think a lot of people do, which is that unfortunately sometimes people pass away and there's an outpouring of grief and emotion about them. When you were going through your thing, there was a hell of a lot of people, and we all saw from social media people saying, you know, come on, King, get through this, and everything was was out there about how well respected you are, how loved you are, and of course, thankfully, you're okay. It must be kind of cool for you to be able to see the the outpouring from from those kind of things, where you 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 don't have to wait until it's too late to see just how how loved and respected you are. Well, you know what, it, it was amazing uh, the the kind of response, and and I think one of the, one of the things it what it really made me appreciate and actually realize how powerful it was was social media mm. i mean you know i mean this was back in what a 2000 was it 2011 or 2012 so i don't know it was 2012 yeah okay 2012 but uh you know i was really sort of just getting into twitter and 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 social media at the time and all of a sudden, the re- the response from all around the world, literally, you know, and now it's like, you know, everybody has a voice, and they can and they can be heard with through social media. And it seemed like I heard from everybody in the world during that time. I mean, there were so many, uh, so many good thoughts and good vibes, and everything. Everybody's saying great things coming my way. That it it did. It made me feel really great. And um, you know, it made me really appreciate and be a strong believer in in pr- the power of prayer. I mean, I really feel like that. I really feel like that at that moment, I can't tell you how many people, thousands and thousands of people sent in, you know, uh, tweets and, and text messages saying that, that when we knew you had had a heart attack and your, your heart wasn't beating and it was live on TV, I had people tell me that they went over and put their hand on the screen of their TV and were down on their knees you know, saying a prayer for me. Right. Thousands of people doing that. And, and hey, I'll tell you what, something worked. I mean, you know, I came out of that with, uh, I mean, my heart really didn't beat for 22 minutes. And then they finally got the paddles. They shot me seven times, and then they got my heart beating again and back on the right rhythm. And from that moment on, I've not, I've not had one problem since. That's fantastic. It's fantastic to hear. And I remember going back to, uh, to that particular week, just to, as a pure coincidence, I happened to have... Um, 
interviews already scheduled that week on the Tuesday and the Thursday, I think it was, with CM Punk and with Bret Hart. And I spoke to both of them later on in the week. And of course, they were a big part of that show and had interacted with you. And, and it was a, you know, they were interacted with each other. And so it was a really big week around wrestling. And I remember speaking to both of those and, you know, obviously legends in their own right. And they were they were really pulling for you as well. I, I know that the emotion um, was big at that point, but the, the, the wrestling... Um, the wrestling family, if I can call it that, is a really um, is a really strong one, isn't it? At, at times of adversity or whatever you might want to call it, um, people really do sort of band together. I guess it really is a sort of a, a brothership, you know, as far as that goes. Well, yeah, and and you're you're exactly right on that. But a lot of times you do, you you either take it for granted or you just kind of forget about it until right. something until something bad happens. Sure. And and it reminded me of like uh, uh, you know yesterday was. Uh, the what 19th was it the 19th anniversary of when owen hart passed away or when when owen hart died something no not maybe not 19th but anyway nine or something anyway have been uh x amount of years and i just remember that when when owen hart passed away uh there on raw that was i think that was the first time i really realized how how close-knit and how strong the wrestling uh, community was and and the wrestling family itself as far as all the wrestlers went you know it's just uh, it was it was amazing yeah I think it was it was 99 so yeah you're right 19 years wow that's gone wow. so, so incredibly quickly um, yeah I when I said when I said 19 <laughs> when I said 19 years I said no that can't be right it can't be, maybe but... nine years but but it really has been that long hasn't it well yeah it has and it's um in fact like, while we're um, while we're on on that particular year let's you know talk about some more some more more positive stuff you know 1999 was a real um, you know, a real fascinating um, time in the industry around that sort of 98-99 where WWE were taking over from uh, from WCW, obviously it had a bit of momentum before that. What I wanted to ask you was because a lot of people would associate that era and of course a lot of years after, but that era, they would associate the soundtrack to that era for them would be you and JR. Um, do you have a particular favourite um, era for the, for the two of you doing the call, whether it's that you felt that you were at your best, whether you felt your chemistry was at its best, the on-screen product. Do you have a particular era which you look fondly the most about, about you and yours and Jim's commentaries? Well, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you on this. I never really thought about it in in um, in that light about, man, our, our, our uh, you know, our chemistry is just really good. I mean, this things are really happening here. JR and I were like, I, I really never thought about it like that. I think only the fans and the people out there listening thought about it like that. I just, honest to goodness, I just literally showed up every Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was and sat down with JR and, and, and I, in my head treated each show like, like as, as if I was a fan and I was sitting at home on my sofa and JR was my next door neighbor and he came over and we were talking about the matches. I, I, you know, it, it wasn't anything where I'm sitting there thinking about, man, our chemistry's got to be right on the money, and 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 you know, we got to do this and do that. But it, it it just it just, I guess it was chemistry because it just it gelled and it came so easy that it was just you know, it really was like sitting there with your best friend, uh, critiquing or talking about what what we were watching, and I think one of the reasons that made it, um that made it that that particular era made it so good and so easy to do was the attitude era mm -hmm. oh my gosh so much so much crazy fun entertaining stuff was going on every single week there that it was it, it made our job so easy just to you know just to talk about what we were witnessing it was it was great it really was and um part of the reason i'm uh, so interested is um, JR is someone I've got to know over the years. I was the first person to uh, to host the the Ringside with Jim Ross shows when he started over here in England, and uh, I've got to know Jim over the years, and he's he's been a guest on this show. Um, and I know he speaks very highly of you in terms of uh, how you and he said very similar to what you just said that how how easy it was. And I think that's the key, isn't it? That you're able to to sit down and just be able to get on whether it's traveling together, eating together, or doing what it is. But I th there's an obvious friendship between you two, even when the you know, the on-screen chemistry is a little bit, you know, one of you's playing the good guy and the bad guy, and you know that, that whole thing. But I think it was very clear to see that the the pair of you got on well, and I, I would think that was probably the key. Is it, I would imagine there would be other people that you didn't necessarily have the same bond with, and therefore the chemistry wasn't quite as right. Well, uh, you know what, I always, I never really can, I can honestly say that I never really worked with anybody doing commentary that I just 
didn't enjoy working with. That's good. Uh, I, I, I had a good time with everybody because, <clears throat> and I've said this many times, I just spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago at a graduating class at a, at a high school here in, uh, right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. And, and it was, you know, I, I, told, the, I told the kids uh, <clears throat> something that I've said many times. If, if you find something, a career or a job that you really love, you will feel like you've never had to work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that was true for both JR and myself. We really loved what we were doing. So it wasn't like work. I mean, it was really, it was really fun. It was like, we couldn't wait to get there and show up and, 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 and do those shows because it was, it was so much, it was just so entertaining and so much fun. It was just, uh, and I think we both feel, still feel the same way. I don't, I don't even, I don't even, feel like this has been a job my entire career I just feel like it's been something that I would have probably paid them to let me do <laughs> yeah. so uh, it's, it's been great yeah just don't don't tell them that too much because they'll uh, no you're they'll, right they'll about that but uh, <laughs> um, if I can go back an, another, another step further back I think it was around about 92 was it that um, you first joined uh, joined up with with Vincent and the WWF as it was then um, 93 I think 93 90, okay yeah um, so for anyone that's um, that started watching wrestling around about that era or uh, is only familiar with with that company um you know obviously there's, there's a lot more to the legacy of, of Jerry Lawler than than just um just what you've achieved in, in WWF but if people only knew you from that date forward um you've still you've still in their eyes had a had a great career are you are you proud of that particular sort of body of work even if you look look beyond what you achieved before that and it is you know immense what you did do yeah oh without a doubt i mean you know going back to what i just said if you're doing something you love you feel like you never had to work and i loved i loved the wrestling business not just uh, the, but the probably the main part that i loved was of course being in the ring and performing mm -hmm. i mean when i when i got when i got started in the business and it just started out as you know as as a wrestler and and for all of the years for the first 25 years I never, I never, I mean, even though we had the two of, when I look back in my eyes, two of the greatest wrestling commentators down in Memphis, uh, in Lance Russell and Dave Brown, they were just awesome. But I always took those guys for granted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was, I was really enjoying uh, doing the wrestling, and I never even thought at, at any of those, at any of those 25 years, I never thought that I'd wind up being a commentator, wrestling commentator. I just thought, you know, I'll just I'll just wrestle and finish out my career doing the wrestling and and retire someday from that. But uh, never did I dream about doing the commentary. And then that just that just came along, not maybe ninety four, ninety five, or something like that. We, you know, we were doing the Monday Night Wars, and um, I think Macho Man Randy Savage was was working with Vince McMahon as the color commentator mm -hmm. on the shows. And and this was when a time. If you remember, a lot of the talent was was jumping ships and trading trading sides, and, and a lot of the WWE talent was at that time was going over and, and getting bought up by by Ted Turner and WCW, offering them big money, and the, some of those guys jumped. And Randy Savage was one of the guys that just all of a sudden, with no notice, no no warning, he was supposed to be at a Monday Night Raw, and boom, we looked around and Randy wasn't there. And, and the WCW show came on an hour before Raw, and somebody said, Vince, look at this. They turn on WCW, and there's, oh, yeah, there's Macho Man on the WCW show. When he was supposed to be in one hour, he was supposed to be live on the WWE show. Mm. And, and and I'll never forget, Vince just turned around. He didn't he didn't even act like it even phased him. He just turned around, and he said, King, would you mind doing the color commentary with me tonight? And he said, then just do it tonight, and by next week I'll have somebody – you know, I have somebody to take Savage's place. So I, I just, I got thrown into the, uh, thrown into the fire there, sitting next to the Vince with no notice whatsoever. And man, here, 25 years later, I'm still doing it. So apparently, he liked, he liked my commentary better than he did my wrestling. <laughs> so you, you must have done something right that night to, uh, apparently, or, or it's taken him 25 years to tell you he didn't like it. But I, I imagine it's because you were very, very good. Um, if, if you wanted to, um. To show someone, if someone you know suddenly went, oh wow, there was there was a Jerry Lawler before WWF. Um, if you wanted to show them what you were about before that, something you're most proud of outside of the company. Um, obviously the uh, the stuff with Andy Kaufman springs to my mind. But is there anything else that um, you would show to people to say this was what Jerry Lawler was about pre '93? 
Well, first of all, you're going to get me in trouble if you keep saying WWF. We can't say that. You know, <laughs> sorry, <either>. I'm sorry. <laughs> we had to get the F out a long time ago, so we're uh, WWE now. Yeah, shut up. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a frog in my throat or something. But anyway, um, yeah, I guess, you know what? I guess the Andy Kaufman, the Andy Kaufman, um, all that experience was probably the thing that, that really helped put me on the map nationwide and worldwide, you know, because of Andy's fame and being on a top rated TV sitcom taxi at the time. Uh, but I mean, you know, people would, and there are a lot of people, uh, especially wrestling fans now that are, that have gone back and, and with, with stuff like YouTube and the internet and everything, and are able to go back and, and revisit what it was like back in the territory days, you know, before cable TV, uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's, I started in like 1971 or something like that. And that was definitely the territory days. And I went all the way up through 1990, uh, through the early nineties with, with our Memphis territory where we wrestled in the same, uh, I mean, I, I literally wrestled in the same city, Memphis, Tennessee. We had a big building called the Mid-South Coliseum seated 11,000 people. And we had a live show in that building every single Monday night for 20 straight years. And I wrestled in that building every single Monday night for 20 straight years. And, um, you know, it was the main event just about 90% of the time of all those, of all those nights. And then we would, we would wrestle in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum on Monday night, have eight, 10,000 people there. And then everybody would jump in their car. They'd drive almost 400 miles up to Louisville, Kentucky on Tuesday night. We had a we had a Louisville Gardens big arena there. We'd have matches, live matches there. Then on Wednesday, we'd drive over to Evansville, Indiana, which was about 200 miles away, and we'd have live matches there. Then Thursday, all the way back over to Lexington, Kentucky. Anyway, every single night of the week, you would drive to a city and have a live match. And sometimes on Saturday, you may do two, three, or even four times four live shows in the same day. So it was it was a totally different from what the, what the wrestling business is like now, and 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 you stayed in one area and you got really familiar with all the fans in that area, and they got familiar with the with the wrestlers before you know before they moved on. If they got tired of them, they move on to another territory. But now those days are gone. But that's that's probably what you know. That's you can go back, like I said, on YouTube and and just man, you can look up Jerry Lawler matches, and there's millions of them on there that uh, that that to me uh you know that's that's what i feel like i was most famous for but uh to the people that just you know are just uh coming into the wrestling world through cable television and wwe uh they don't they don't even remember or never even knew about those days and it's i suppose it's one of the benefits of something like the wwe network and as you said youtube and those kind yes. of things that you can go back and relive all this stuff like it's uh like it's brand new you literally never never get to the end of it there's so much footage it's uh it's you know one, one of one of the great things about the wwe network and i have people literally somebody every day will will send me a uh a tweet or something reminding me of something that JR and I might have said during one of the shows during the Attitude Era, and, and they'll have it in the tweet, and I'll look and I'll go, oh my gosh, how on earth did we get away with saying <laughs> stuff like that? I mean, literally, somebody somebody sent me something the other day that I said about uh, about President Bill Clinton, and trust me, if, if you said that today, they would pull your, that you'd be fired immediately. Uh, but the, but the cool thing about the network is all that stuff still lives. I mean, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't edit anything out. It's still there. So all of that, uh, that, um, uh, politically incorrect stuff that we did during commentary and during the shows back in the day, you can, if you got the WWE network, you could go back and relive that stuff. And it is so, it is so entertaining. Well, without getting you into trouble and, uh, and getting you to repeat any of those things that uh, you may think you are, are a little bit in, in danger in, in 2018, um, when the uh, when the industry changed, when the Attitude Era came along, and obviously um, things were a lot more relaxed in, in WWE in terms of what you could get away with, what you can say, how the the raunchiness um, came around. Obviously, the the character of the King changed somewhat, and uh, the the the, um, the things that you are associated with. 
you know, the, uh, the the puppies and all that kind of thing. Um, how much did you enjoy that kind of being let loose? I mean, I don't know how much of that's your, your natural character or how much it isn't, but um, you, you obviously seem to have a ball and people really in, enjoyed and in, engaged with that. It must have been quite um, freeing to be able to almost say anything that came to your mind on air that, at that point. Well, it, it really was, and it, and it was fun, but we... It, it, the whole deal was at that time the WWE had a different target audience mm-hmm. than they do today. I mean, it's no doubt about it that, that at that time when we were talking about puppies and, and the divas were scantily clad and I mean, you know, we'd have bikini matches, broad panty matches and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the, the audience, the target audience were, were college kids. You know, males 18 to 18 to 40 or 35 years old, and and they they were really, you know, they were really seeking out that audience. Now today, when everything's more politically correct, it's their their target our audience are families and children, and so uh, you know you just you you gotta you gotta tailor your your commentary and your programming to in a different direction. And there's, you know, there's certainly still ways to make it as fun and or make it fun and entertaining these days. But it's, uh, it was, it was just so, it's so different now than what it was during the Attitude Era. And if you're, if you're, one of the uh, the themes that we've been just talking about over the last ten or fifteen minutes, well, I'm I'm keen to suggest to anyone that's listening, if uh, if you think that all that uh, all that Jerry Lawler's about is is jumping up and down and saying puppies, you're very wrong. There's a lot more to uh, <laughs> to this man on the other end of the line. I want I want to get that across. Um, I want to pick up on one little um one little thing about your career. When I say little, but I think it's an important one. Um, people that listen to this show will be familiar with me. Um, coming up with lots of small things that I think are important in the long run. I think that certain things can happen in wrestling and subtlety and just, you know, a small thing can can make a big deal. One thing I often go back to is the, uh, do you remember the, the Triple H and Undertaker segment where they didn't say anything for 15 minutes but they pointed at the WrestleMania sign and everyone knew what they were getting at? Um, the one thing I want to ask about you is is the strap, the pulling down of the strap because one <laughs> one simple move... And everyone knows what you mean. Those 11,000 people in the Mid-South Coliseum, whoever it is around the world, when Jerry Lawler pulls the strap down, everyone knows what that means. Um, where did that first come around? And, and was, it, was it kind of by chance? Was it, was it by design? And do, do you see what I mean by the fact that that one little thing is just so important, even though it might be a subtle aspect? Well, yeah. And, and you know, there's, there are guys that down through their career um, have had something similar to that. I mean, you know, like Hulk Hogan, yeah. you know, he, he hulks up and all of a sudden, boom, he'll point his finger uh, at his opponent and boom, you know, that's it. He, here he goes. And that's, that's very reminiscent of me pulling down the strap. It was just, it was just a, um, a way of communicating to the fans that, Hey, it's on now. You know, to, things are as as Jr. would always say, business is about to pick, to pick up. up. <laughs> and so that's you know that was. But I've been asked that uh, um, a million times where it came from. I'll be totally honest with you, I don't remember. I don't know when I started doing it uh, because I I go back and I look at it. I see a lot of matches uh, early in the especially in the seventies. That I didn't wear the tar, what we call the Tarzan top. That I didn't wear the Tarzan top with the strap. Uh, so I, I really can't remember how or why that that really or when that actually got started. But I'm glad it did. It, it, it's it's worked really well for me over the years. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little quick a quick story about yeah, right. something funny that happened with that. I once in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was being the bad guy. Um, a young lady that was sat on the front row every single week uh, claimed that somehow I spit on her during a match. She claimed that me and another wrestler got outside the ring, and when this was, and and actually, what happened was I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of times um, Flair is good at doing it. So guys will do. Um, it's almost like a spit take when you get hit. Sometimes you know it's you can. If you spit at the same time, if you make that timing just exactly right, it sometimes will look like a tooth flying out of your mouth, or it'll yeah. just look like you got hit so hard that it, that it knocked the spit out of you. Absolutely. And and so uh, actually, that is what happened. I didn't even I didn't even know this girl or what was you know who she was or what was going on. I had no beef with her, but I I saw this punch, and when I spun around, the spit came out of my mouth, and it 
I don't know if it hit her in the face, but anyway, it went on her, and she filed a lawsuit. Wow. A lawsuit that went all the way to court with a jury trial. And we went we went into court and uh, in front of a jury, and my lawyer got up finally and was asking this young lady questions, and he said, he said, young lady, you really don't like Mr. Lawler, do you? And she said, "No, I don't." And she said, "He said, as a matter of fact, you just you can't you really detest Mr. Lawler, don't you?" And she said, "Yes, I do." And he said, "Well, can you tell this jury what it is about Mr. Lawler that makes you dislike him so much?" And this girl honestly said in front of a jury, she said, "Well, because when he pulls his strap down in the match, you know the match is about to be over." <laughs> And I just, I just about lost it. And the people in the jury started just laughing. And that was her, that was her reason that she didn't like me because she knew the match was going to be over when I pulled the strap down. Wow. Or was about to be over. And, and go, so, anyway, she didn't, yeah, she didn't win. She, she <laughs> lost the case. Thank well, goodness. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. There's some, there's something for, uh, for, uh, for justice anyway that, uh, yes. uh, that she didn't. Um, if I could ask you, um, uh, we, we could sit here and talk uh, fun old stories all day, I'm sure. And uh, but that's something you do these days on uh, on your podcast. I want to uh, talk to you about the uh, uh, the podcast that you do over at uh, Pod Avenue. Um, is yep. that something you're having uh, having a lot of fun doing? Well, you know what? Some days are fun. Some days are kind of a little more tedious than others. Uh, it just it seems like a lot of times when I mean we try to schedule our podcast. Um, Glenn Moore is is my co-host on this thing, and we try to schedule doing our recording our podcast on Tuesday mornings at like ten o'clock in the morning, and and invariably something will other that seems more important will be going on at that time and so uh sometimes you know sometimes this goes off on schedule sometimes we'll be a day late and then it'll it'll interfere with something else that i had planned for wednesday or or whatever but uh you know it's i I told glenn when when they when they came to me and wanted me to do this i said you know i've been on a few podcasts and I didn't necessarily have a great time because it took up a lot of time. And there's just, you know, when it was over, it's like, uh, you know, it's something that's recorded. You don't get that instant gratification. Sure. You don't have an audience out there or anything like that, right? So, I mean, the the first one that I did, and and it almost made me swear off podcast, was with Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I was honored that Stone Cold asked me to be a guest on his podcast. And, and like we're doing now, we wound up talking for so long, and I'm long-winded anyway, but along with, with, with Steve and him asking me all these old territory questions, which he was really interested in, we wound up to- talking for like uh, over two hours. Mm. And, and, and he finally made two or maybe three shows out of that, you know, out of the conversation. But um, when I got off of it, I said, oh, my gosh, never again do I want to do a podcast. That was miserable because what what I what I wound up doing when you're the guest, you wind up telling the same old stories about yourself and about your career that you feel like everybody's heard because you've told them a million times. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just rehashing this old stuff and, and it gets pretty much boring. But like Steve was loving hearing this stuff because he didn't know that much about the you know the territory part of my career even the and even though Steve came through and uh, came through Memphis we talked about the you know about those days when he was wrestling there in Memphis as stunning Steve Austin and uh, so but but to me when I'm talking about myself I get bored so that's uh, at that time I almost swore off podcast and I told I told my guy Glenn I said. I'll do the podcast, but I'm not going to have guests. I'm not. I'm not going to go out and ask people to do what, you know. I'm not going to ask people and put them through what I got put through whenever I do a podcast. I, I know how much I did not enjoy it, so I don't want to ask my friends to do that. Um, so we, that's that's how it came about. We really have had very few guests. We just get on and talk about you know either what's happened in raw or smackdown or any any kind of newsworthy stuff and we talk about other stuff too we talk about other sports and and then just all kind of stuff 
But we have, you know, we have had some guests on um, that have turned out really, really good. I've really enjoyed every guest that we have had on. We've had Brett the Hitman Hard on. Jim Cornette is an amazing guest. Uh, we had, we actually had uh, Terry Funk, which was awesome. Um, and so we, and 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 then and then uh, we have had twice now. Um, uh, Jeff Jarrett. We just had Jeff on this past week, and I know we're going to talk about Jeff here in a minute, but. Uh, some of the guests have well actually every time I've had a guest on I've really enjoyed the show and it's, it's turned out well and it's um it's a show I want to want to point out to everybody that it's um as you were quite rightly saying there it's not necessarily the kind of the, the, the same old podcast that, that people do you often have a have theme shows don't you where you go back and look at a certain point in history or uh, an opponent of yours or, or something like that and right. I think that's a um a system that's worked well for everyone seeing the success of uh, of Bruce Pritchard's podcast, and I'm not saying yours is the same, but I'm saying it's a it's a variant on that kind of looking at history through through your eyes. And as we've already established over the last uh, um, 25 minutes or so, your uh, you know your knowledge, your experience, your history is so great. Then you know as long as you're enjoying it, I think this this podcast could could run and run. It's so fun to listen to all your stories. You you may bore yourself, sir, but you don't bore the there rest you go. That's you don't, the, you're you don't right. bore the rest that's of what us. I have to keep in mind. That I, I'm, <laughs> I'm boring myself, but hopefully I'm not boring everybody that's listening. You're right. You sure, you sure aren't. <laughs> we we enjoy it. Um, and with that in mind, to not t- uh, take up too much of your time, yes, of course we uh, want to have a quick chat about uh, about Jeff Jarrett. Jeff's coming over to uh, uh, to the UK here with us at Hooked on Wrestling in uh, in July. Um, and we'll be uh, be able to, uh, to to meet and greet with the fans and, and do some question and answers. But I just wanted to get to to know the man a little bit more from someone that knows him. So uh, if you very quickly. Well, well you... let me let me let me just say you just said a very important thing there, and I started to mention that about my podcast. One one of my favorite things that we do on the podcast, and we do about once a month maybe, is uh, we'll have a question and answer. It's oh, an yes. asking asking anything, and um, and we we did that. Uh, last week with Jeff on the show, so uh, trust me, you guys are going to have a great, a great time with Jeff Jarrett uh, on the question and answer part of the show. And and you know he's he is uh, so fast on his feet and really very very knowledgeable about. And, and it, honestly, uh, one of the reasons I was so hesitant about the podcast, I'll, I'll be the first to say this has nothing to do with a stroke. I don't know what this. I I have a terrible memory, but Jeff Jeff's memory is awesome. Except for one thing, you know, we've just this the other week or the other day when we were doing this thing, there was something, a subject came up, and I I remember the I, the generalities of it. Um, Jeff's dad, of course, Jerry Jarrett, and I were partners. We both owned the Tennessee territory, and and then Jeff came along, and and he was, you know, Jeff wanted to get him or Jerry wanted to get Jeff started. We both went into a barn. At, at, uh, at Jerry's big 100-acre farm up in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He had a barn down there, and he set up a ring in it. And Jerry and I both went in there, and we we worked out with Jeff, and we had guys just come in and work with him and, and basically train him and everything. And he was just the tiniest little thing at first. I mean, he was so he was so small that I was I was just wondering, man, is this, you know, is he going to have to – I would just look at him and say, Jeff, eat a sandwich. Do something every <laughs> – drink a milkshake or something, you know, but, uh, but of, of course he, he progressed and he did really well, but there was something that happened and, and neither one of us could remember what it was, but Jerry, I guess Jeff did something around me. And then I told Jerry about it, you know, Jeff's dad and J- and Jerry just got, he just got livid. He was really wanting to instill in Jeff uh, the kind of respect uh, for the for the veteran wrestlers that that we had growing up. I mean, you know, like Jerry and I, we looked up to guys like Tojo Yamamoto and Jackie Fargo and Sputnik Monroe. These were the guys that Jerry and I looked up to as we were just kids going to the matches and buying tickets. And so when we got in the business, we had a great deal of respect for these guys. And I think that Jerry wanted to instill that same respect into his son Jeff that he had and that I had. So, uh, so what happened was when, when whatever this was, Jeff did, and I went back and told Jerry, it made Jerry so mad. He got so upset that he made Jeff who lived in Nashville at the time, get in his car, drive all the way down to Memphis, Tennessee, 220 miles away where I lived, 
get out of his car and my walk up to my house, knock on my door. And when I came to the door, he, he just basically gave me an apology for whatever it was he did. And then that wasn't all. I also own, still owned a home up in Nashville that I was trying to sell. And it had a, like a two acre lot. He made Jeff come back to Nashville, go over to my house in Nashville get on a little tractor and go around and mow my entire yard, cut my grass <laughs> there at, the, at, the, at my house. And the funny thing was, if Jeff or myself could not remember exactly what he did <laughs> to make Jerry that angry. I, don't, I, I, I remember all the things that surrounded it and that he had to come and apologize, but neither one of us could remember exactly uh, what he did. So maybe by, by the time he gets over to uh, the UK, Somebody can ask him that question, and uh, he will have he remembered the answer, or maybe he'll go and talk to his dad and find out what it was. <laughs> we'll, we'll set him off. He's got a couple of months to uh, uh, to see if he can still remember. Um, right. Very quickly, obviously you're talking about there, Jerry there, his father. Um, you know, your son Brian has been involved in the wrestling business. Um, it's difficult for, well, I think some, on some some respects it's. Uh, an easier route for uh, for sons or daughters of, of, of wrestlers to get into the wrestling industry, but on the other hand, they've got something to live up to. Um, how do you think Jerry fared? In, uh, sorry, how do you think Jeff fared in terms of um, following his dad into the industry and, and, and learning that way, and, and how other people in the industry may have thought of him as the son of a promoter, son of someone in the industry? Well, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword. It can, like you just said, it can work for you and against you at the same time. Because it's it's almost like, well, of course, I don't know if it works in soccer, but like over here in, in the United States, like if you had a football team and the coach's son was always the quarterback, right. and you're always wondering, you know, oh, my gosh, is he really the best? Should he be the quarterback or is he just there because he's the coach's son? And that the same thing went that same mindset was prevailed with not only the other wrestlers, but with the fans as well. When, when somebody that was the son of a promoter, especially, or the owner of a territory, when he got pushed and, and he got brought into the business, you know, there was that, there was that, uh, doubt about him. And, and, and a perfect case in point was our own territory before Jeff got started. When, uh, when, when Jerry and I both started out just as wrestlers, Nick Goulas, actually, Nick Goulas and Roy Welch were the guys that owned the Tennessee Territory. And Nick was a, a kind of a, a, I don't know, a little bit of a shady guy. I always liked Nick, but a lot of people didn't like him as, you know, he was just your typical uh, kind of shyster promoter. He didn't pay the guys very well. And, you know, he was, he was loud and boisterous and everything. And then all of a sudden, his son, George, got old enough to where George all of a sudden came to his dad and said, Dad, I want to be a wrestler. And George was about the most unathletic guy that you're ever going to lie. I mean, he could have probably a decent basketball player, but he was tall, he was gangly, he was, he, you know, he had no weight on him or anything. But he was, you know, he was Nick Goulas' son, and all of a sudden Nick said, my boy is going to be a star. He's going to be in the main event. And and he, he really, you know, it it – when Nick did that and pushed his son that strongly, it hurt the territory. It hurt the towns. The people didn't believe in him, and they didn't want to. You know, all of a sudden, he's in the main event. He's beating up guys that were twice his size because he was, you know, he was the promoter's son. Mm. So that that stigma was there on Jeff, and as it, and it was on Brian as well. So, but but Jeff was Jeff was really cool. He was he was good enough that he overcame that. And and uh, I don't even think you know I don't even think anybody after a very short time they didn't even look at him as being uh, a promoter or the owner's son at all. And in, in my case with my son Brian, we actually changed his name. We didn't even let him, and he didn't even want to. And we thought it was best that he didn't even use the name Brian Lawler. Uh, we, he used his middle name as Brian Christopher. And um, and for a long time we denied. If you remember in the WWE, we denied that he was even my son. You know, and and but simply because we didn't, we wanted to avoid the stigma of people saying, oh, you know, he's the boss's son, or he's the promoter's son, or he's the owner's son. So that's a very fun, both ways. A very fun take on it. I think it's an, an underrated take on it. Really, is what uh, is what you and Brian had during that era where Jr. was always calling out the Yuri's dad, and you would deny it. And I don't think really anyone's ever. I can't think of anyone else having done a similar approach to it. It's almost turning on its head, isn't it? Rather than embracing yeah, the father-son thing, yeah, it's just turning exactly. it around. 
Exactly. Just about everybody else would, you know, they were proud. They were proud of the fact that uh, they're uh, either proud of their son or the son proud of the dad. And they would try to make a big deal out of the fact that, you know, he's from a wrestling family and everything. And you're right. We went the exact opposite and and tried to deny it all. And, and, and but it, it worked well. It did. It suited the characters perfectly. Um, as far as Jeff's um, WWE run, um, obviously you were, you were there through. Um, pretty much all of it. Um, would um, did you kind of feel uh, not a sense of um, of having to look after him because obviously he was a, a grown man by that point. But did you always have like a, a special eye out for him because of the the, uh, the how long you'd known him for and the the connection that you two had? Well, yeah, I, I did. As a matter of fact, um, and it, it was like I don't know. It, it was still like it was cool because it was like a guy from from Tennessee. Uh, you know the Tennessee territory. All of a sudden, being up there in the WWE, that was so totally different from the territory days. And and you know Jeff was uh, he had come from he had come from the territory days. And and to be able to talk with and everything. But but the funny thing was, I mean, you know by that by that time, I was mainly into just doing the commentary and wasn't having to go. Uh, on the road as much as the guys like Jeff were. So, okay. you know, he, he, he did, he brought a couple of guys with him from Tennessee. If you remember, I think Colonel, Colonel Parker, Robert Fuller, yeah. and um, uh, a couple of guys, you know, that kind of, it was, he was going to have a stable at first. And then of course the road dog, you know, the, uh, 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 Jesse, Jesse James or, you know, Brian James and all of that sort of stuff. He, then at that time, you know, they, they, they were together. So he, he, um, you know, he had some younger friends, and uh, you know, I was I was older than Jeff, and it wasn't any any way that he and I were going to like hang around together. But yeah, it was cool that uh, that we were from the same place. And then and then of course, um, I I always I loved the country music gimmick that they put it, that they put on Jeff, and uh, uh, you know, because I heck I was you know I was from Tennessee, I was from <laughs> where Nashville, and and all the country music was was all from and everything. So it it, it was something that was that was fun to do. I, wanna, I won't keep you very much longer, I promise. I just want to ask you a couple more um, very quickly, if I may. Um, one is to do with the one, the one that sticks in my mind of you working with Jeff in an on-air um, capacity was the, the couple of weeks of the, of the angle which, uh, which involved Bret Hart and William Shatner. I wonder if you had any good, stor- <laughs> any good stories about that, that whole angle, inclu- you know, particularly including Jeff and, and how that worked. Because that's the kind of, um, kind of angle you, you do for, for someone like Jeff who hadn't necessarily had a, a big amount of exposure on TV at that time. I think Brett was the world champion. Obviously, you're a legend. And William Shatner, a big TV star. That must have been a big opportunity for Jeff to shine on that kind of level. Well, w- without a doubt. I mean, I was the same way. You know, when I when I first got up there, uh, I got I got involved in uh, an angle with with Brett the Hitman Hart, and that was, you know, that was as high as you could go. Brett being the champion and all that sort of stuff. So, anytime you could work with with Brett, um, <clears throat> you know, you were. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, I mean, you were considered on top, mm-hmm. and so for for Jeff to come in and do that same thing, get get involved with him was great. I remember. Um, one of the one of the really cool things about William Shatner being there, he was there to plug. Um, it was it was a, just a cross promotion thing, I guess. On USA Today, he had a show called Tech Wars mm-hmm. that was just coming out, and so all of a sudden everybody says, "Hey, William Shatner's going to be here, and he's going to you know he's going to plug his plug his uh, show." And I was man, I was a huge Star Trek fan, right? So I mean, Cap, I'm just thinking. Forget William Shatner. This is Captain Kirk. I mean, <laughs> Captain Kirk is going to be on the show, and I'm going to hopefully get to meet him somewhere backstage. Then, before the show started, they came up and said, "Hey, we're going to have him on a King's Court," and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to get to actually interact and talk with Captain Kirk, right?" And so then they came to us and 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 um, you know talked to us about what what we wanted to say and how we're going to plug Tech Wars, and and he just. He was so excited. He wanted to get involved some kind of way, right? I mean, he said, "Is there any kind of thing that I can do? You know, some kind of physicality?" And and everybody that Vince especially, they're going, "Oh, I, I don't think that's a good idea or whatever." But but I thought, and I suggested, I said, I said, "What about the?" I call it the alien monkey flip. He said, I've seen you do it a lot of times. It's the same, you know, in the, in the wrestling, it's a move that we call a monkey flip where, you know, you go down on your back, you put your feet up and you toss me over. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, I can do that. 
<laughs> and so then all of a sudden Vince said, well, well, yeah, if you guys want to do that, if you're willing, you know, Bill, if you're okay with that. So, uh, so the only, the, and this is what I really remember about that was uh, as we were just about to go out there, he came to me and he said, he said, hey, King, be careful of the rug. <laughs> and I went, I said, what? He said, yeah, the rug, the rug. And uh, I didn't realize he was wearing a toupee, <laughs> right? Okay. So I, I and and so uh, so then now all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if on live TV he goes and gets a monkey flip and his wig comes off? You know <laughs> how embarrassing. Then they blame it on me or whatever, right? So anyway, uh, but but fortunately the thing worked out perfect. I just saw it the other day. Somebody put it up on Twitter and I was watching it again and, and he got right up after the monkey flip. He fixed his jacket and then I think he sort of touched his hair to make sure it was all okay and all still there and everything. But the cool thing about that was that led into years later uh, in, in 2007 when I was getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. They said, you know, who... Um, who who do you want to induct you? And this is when you know they would they would ask the uh, the the inductees uh, who they wanted to to have induct them. And at first I thought Lance Russell and 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 Lance would have been great, but they were concerned that that not you know Lance had never been doing done anything in the WWE, so they were just concerned. Back this this is when they were showing part of the show on the USA Network, and they were concerned that Lance didn't have enough exposure, so the people wouldn't really know who he was. So. Uh, suddenly, uh, I don't even know how, how it got suggested, but uh, I think an agent of mine just, just still knew him or whatever. And anyway, Bill Shatner's name came up again. And I said, oh, my gosh, that would be awesome. And so all of a sudden, I get a call from William Shatner. Bill, of course, if you're friends with me, you call him Bill. <laughs> he gives me a call, and he says, Jerry, I just want to know one thing. And I said, what's that? And he said, was I really your first choice? Of an, uh, to have to have uh, you inducted, and I said, "Oh, absolutely, yes, sir, Bill." I couldn't think of anybody else, and so he he came he came to do the induction all the way in, uh, up in Detroit or Dearborn, Michigan, and it was so it was it was so um, uncomfortable in the fact that he got there and we're we're in the back, and he he came over to me and he says. Hey, let me ask you a question, Jerry. He said, how far away is the teleprompter? He said, because my eyes are not very good. He said, is the teleprompter close or how far away is it? And I said, oh, Bill, we don't use teleprompter. <laughs> and I'll never forget, he went, what? 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 And I said, no, we don't have teleprompters. And so, oh my gosh. They, and then of course, the, then the worst thing is the writers wrote out this long script that he was supposed to try to remember, you know, sounding, making it sound like he and I were big buddies and all this stuff through the years. <laughs> and and he, he, of course, he couldn't remember it. And it came time for him to go out there and he put on glasses, little reading glasses, and he got this piece of paper up real close to his face and he started reading all of this stuff about me, right? And it was so bad that the people in the audience started chanting, you don't know him. <laughs> you don't know him. It was like one of the most embarrassing things. I felt so bad for him. And when I came out, he came over and shook my hand. He said, man, tough room, huh? Tough room. <laughs> I said, yes, sir, they can be. So anyway, but, uh, you know, that that was just a, a, a memory of being around somebody that was a childhood hero of mine. Sure. And, and, and to, to get to be inducted in the Hall of Fame by Captain Kirk was one of the greatest thrills of, in, the, in this business for me. Absolutely. And it, and it brings us nicely on to... I'm sorry, I, I didn't even get anything about Jeff in there, but that was... <laughs> <laughs> it was a great story. It was a great story. And we'll, we'll get something with Jeff here because it leads me on to nicely um, a lovely little underline of of Jeff's career, which was getting the chance to go into the uh, the, the Hall of Fame this year. Um, yes. I don't know if there was ever a... Because uh, I wondered at, at one point whether you might be able to um, do his induction, but I guess obviously you've got you've got other duties to do on, on that night. But uh, it was a, a great moment for him and for I imagine for everyone that's known him. He's been through a hell of a journey over the years. He's got a great storied career. It's a really nice moment I think for him to have gone into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think unexpected. I don't think even Jeff uh, was expecting it because you know there had been some. I don't know if you want to say bad blood or whatever, but you know uh, that uh, that he um, 
may have been, you know, had left on some kind of kind of unsavory circumstances there with Vince or whatever. I didn't never really know the the exact uh, background of that, but uh, all of a sudden when I heard that Jeff, when I heard when I first heard that Jeff was being inducted, I went, "Wow, really?" <laughs> not that not that he was undeserving, of course, but the fact that uh, you know. I, I I just thought that it might be something that, uh, but you know what? I got, I got to give him credit. Vince McMahon is great about that. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely great about, uh, he, he, I don't know. It's like he is business over, over any personal feelings at all, all at all times. And so, uh, I think if, and, and of course Vince is not the, the, you know, they do, uh, I don't know. They, they do a thing where so many people get to suggest, you know who should who they think should be inducted in the Hall of Fame. It's it's like a committee, and then I guess Vince this kind of gets to pare it down, you know, towards the end. But yeah, he he's he, he throws his personal feelings out the window when it comes to the Hall of Fame, and 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 he's he's great in the fact that he don't he don't when we do the rehearsals in the day he don't want to hear what the guys are going to say. He wants to be surprised just like the audience, and and he does he puts no time limit on anybody. And which sometimes he regrets, and we all regret. Mm-hmm. But you know, he just he says, "Hey, it's your moment. Say or do whatever you want to do." And so you know, uh, just like uh, somebody had Jim Cornette out there, to, you know, inducting him uh, last year. And who would have ever thought that Jim Cornette, as much as the negative stuff that he said about the WWE, but there there he was. So that just shows you that you know, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, um, if you're deserving. You're going to get in there, and yeah, for to, to have Jeff up there, and uh, it, it was a, it was a very special moment for Jeff, and then of course Road Dog uh, inducted him. Uh, I I, th- I think they might, if they were going to do it again, they might leave out the song. The karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so.